Shut up and sit down. I'm Dr. Corbin Weaver, an OB-GYN resident. I'm Dr. Katie Wyatt, and I'm one too. And I'm Dave Etler, their pod father. And, and we, we are, are the Vagabonds. Three friends venturing through the world of feminism and healthcare for women, babies, and people of all kinds. We don't give medical advice, and we don't speak for anyone other than ourselves. We're just recording conversations we'd be having in bars anyway. Hello, Vagabonds. Welcome, or welcome back. In the first half of today's show, I'll talk about medication shortages. I'll go over what drugs are affected, why it happens, and how it affects patients, and what changes are being made to address the shortages. Later on, we'll have news with Dave and more, so stay with us. Hello. How's it going? It's good. It's been a while. Yes. Yes, it has. We it hasn't been a while for our listeners, but just for us. Yeah. Weeks. We and, recorded lots of episodes. And um, so here we are back at it again. Yeah. So times. as I just said in that little lovely new intro, listeners, tell us what you think of our new format. Rolling out a hot new format. Um, I'm going to be talking about medication shortages. So something that brought that up is actually something that happened to me in clinic. We were, I was in a pain clinic and we do a lot of like pudendal nerve blocks and like trigger point Mm. injections. So these are like basically you just inject local anesthetic and like around someone's nerve around someone's like painful spot. And um, we were like, man, where's our bupivacaine, which is a type of local anesthetic like how come we don't have any and it turns out that bupivacaine is in a national drug drug shortage right now Mm. so and what i learned actually it's all local anesthetics have a or all like the commonly used ones like lidocaine and bupivacaine um are in a shortage right now so i thought i'd talk a little bit about that now this is something I feel like people don't really realize is a thing that can happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're a thing that can happen in 2018. Who knew? Crazy town. Because this is the thing about drug shortages. You just like, when you work in healthcare, you just expect the things to be there that you need, you know, when you go to mm-hmm. get them. Yeah. You're like... And sometimes the drug shortages like seem to be things that are like pretty simple, like saline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think like, how, so, yeah. how hard is it to make salt water? Turns out difficult. Well, actually, so some of the drugs that, and Dave, good uh, leading into this, but so some of the drugs that are affected are like, you know, like super common, like you said, lidocaine, um, opioid pain medications are also affected. Um, like when I did my ear... Uh, rotation in med school there was like a shortage of Dilaudid at that time and so they were like using morphine and Mm -hmm. um IV fluids are in a shortage and all that jazz so it's Mm -hmm. pretty much everything and the FDA actually has a list of like all the drugs that are currently on shortage or have been on shortage this year and um so you can go check that out. I won't go through them all because some of them are random, but um, those are kind of the highlights that affect most people because 
I don't think people realize even like people are like, oh, I don't like use opioid pain medications or I don't use these pain medications. But it's like if you go to the ER and need stitches, Mm -hmm. you need local anesthetic, you know, or like all the women who are giving birth and want to have like an epidural. Right. So these meds are used like all the time and also fluids like fluids. I mean... They run like water in hospitals. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they really do. I mean, if you go into a hospital, you're going, you're probably going to have IV fluids, right? Or you're probably going to need yeah, IV Yeah, more than fluids. likely. And so, you know, it was there, as I said, there was a rec- there were at least one recent case where there was, you know, IV saline shortages. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so... um some reasons why actually it really has to do with like the industry obviously of like pharmaceutical sales so like the fda can only regulate so much like they're not the fda can't tell someone like oh you have to sell to these buyers or oh you have to make this amount of you know medication or obviously it behooves pharmaceutical companies to be able to you know meet the demand of their clients in some cases But of course, in some cases, it doesn't behoove them because like, you know, supply and demand sort of depending on who has the rights and who can fill the needs, you know, of that company. So um, most of this has to do with like supply chain issues, which I'm already a little bored just saying those words out loud. (laughs) We could I could talk about supply chain logistics all day long. Yeah. But um, like, for instance, so like with opioids, this is kind of interesting. So as a part of like a way to fight the quote unquote opioid epidemic, the FDA is basically trying to limit the amount of companies that can produce the drugs, which sucks. Right. And so it creates a system in which the drug companies themselves have more control over, you know, like what they make Mm -hmm. so they can like artificially decrease supply. But also, if there's any sort of, like, problem at those pharmaceutical manufacturing places, it affects the, like, um, you know, the production of the ability for people to get drugs all over the country. And this is what we're seeing a lot of right now because of the hurricanes in, that affected Puerto Rico. Yeah, because so, they do uh, a lot of manufacturing there, don't they? Right, yeah. Puerto Rico is, like, the largest place that they do the pharmaceutical manufacturing especially this was true for like the fluids Mm. Mm -hmm. and so pfizer specifically their plants there were affected i guess and so this is why we're seeing all these like um shortages and because the like processing these you know like the process of making these drugs and all that they're really intense because you know, like they go into people's bodies. Yeah, you you can't mm-hmm. you can't you know if right. you're gonna make if you're gonna make a, a if you're gonna make an IV saline, you can't just dissolve some salt in water and call it good. No, right? Like, so they have to have all these like sterile mechanisms, and they have to be like super high tech, and so it's not easy to like ramp up production of something, you know. Like, and even if like a company were to expand, like to create more manufacturing sites, getting those manufacturing sites off the ground, it takes a lot because you need like trained workers and you need a, you know, a ma- manufacturing facility that's able to, you know, meet the quality standards. And then you also have to have quality controls. And so it's like this big old, you know, There's inspections, I'm sure. And, and yeah, and inspections nature. and like the FDA has to approve it and all that. So it's this whole big old ordeal, as you can see. And then 
And then some of them, I imagine, some of the shortages, I imagine, I don't know if this is true or not, maybe you've read about it, but some of the shortages, I imagine, are a result of, um, I think this is called upstream um, suppliers, where they're, you know, the components used to manufacture a drug may or may not come from the manufacturer of that drug. They may come from another company. Yeah. um, And then they're used to manufacture the drug. And so if your upstream supplier has problems or you don't have enough diversity in upstream suppliers, then you're going to end up with a downstream problem. Yeah, that's true. The um, FDA actually has an infographic on this. Um, so in 2012, so the data is a little bit delayed, but like they listed the like by percentage of the reason for drug shortages in the U.S. So 27% of drug shortages were due to like the upstream like lack of raw materials. Mm. That's a lot. Yeah. 37% were due to the quality manufacturing issues, which is, that was the largest percentage of, Mm. um, and then 27% were due to quality delays and just like pure capacity issues. Um, and then the rest are like loss of the manufacturing site, increased demand, which is only 5%, discontinuation, 2%. I also was reading that, um, sometimes manufacturing companies will kind of like artificially they won't make as much just in in like the more generic drugs because they don't have as large of a profit margin on them Mm -hmm. yeah so there's not there's less incentive to make them and so you know they they may stop they may stop making them in favor of other drugs or they may cut back right in favor of other more expensive so Like something and the FDA lists things they can't do, like they can't require a company to make a drug. So whether the company makes a drug or not, um, they can't require them to make more of a drug and they can't change how much into whom the drug is distributed. So they're kind of in some ways have their hands mm-hmm. tied, obviously, to help. But the FDA actually like um, does work with pharmaceutical companies to help them like meet the demands of the medical industry so um like they talk to like other pharmaceutical companies to help like them like maybe ramp up production or they um help them work with their manufacturing issues they also sometimes change the expiration date on some of the drugs yeah so they they can get approval to extend the expiration date so that you can use them for longer rather than throwing them out right Though when st- stuff like this happens, it kind of reminds me of how like wasteful the process, the medical oh industry gosh. can be like the amount of stuff we throw out is like, for instance, when we were talking about in clinic, like the lidocaine, they're talking about like draw, you know, like if you drop a, if you draw up a, um, like a local anesthetic sterile, it's multi-use mm-hmm. for the most part. And so as long as you draw it up sterile, you can use it multiple times. But if you bring it into you with the patient, you know, you have a higher likelihood that it's contaminated and you have to throw out any remaining drug that you have left at the end of the visit, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like doing things like that, that it's like, you know, how many cc's of lidocaine have we wasted in the last year? Yeah. You know? And also, like, I... I don't remember where I was, but um, like surgical specialties, especially, are waste, like create, generate a lot of waste because, like, I went to this exhibit one time. I think it was at like the South Florida Museum or in Sarasota. Anyway, but it like had a box, like a 
clear like cube full of like the like all the garbage from one like surgery and it is like so big because if you think about it like every single gown we wear is like you throw it away every glove every drape every like everything like all yeah. the blood soaked like laps and towels and stuff are all like thrown away and that's all stuff that like takes a lot to be manufactured because like it all has to be sterile mm-hmm. it's just interesting here's one that i'm surprised yeah. i'm looking at the fda's list right now and here's one i'm surprised is still on the list because as far as i can tell this has been true since uh march of 2017 so far more than a year at this point as it's what is it august 2018 is sodium bicarbonate mm-hmm. still on the list and this is you know so oh yeah this that was that was in shortage when i was on NICU yeah. over a year ago and this is like every, i think maybe our listeners might associate sodium bicarbonate with like indigestion but it's also used mm-hmm. to treat other things um yeah it's used as a buffer for patients who like they're they're in like alkalosis or acidosis it's yeah. used to like buffer their blood so that they like don't die basically. yeah yeah you can use it in like overdose situations yeah but it's another one of those really like simple things that you think oh well this should be simple to find i'll just you know pop yep. down to the grocery store and get some arm and hammer or whatever yeah mm-hmm. but yeah it's kind of like and then what do you do like what do you do when you have lidocaine and you have you don't have lidocaine and you need someone who like needs a biopsy you know yeah well, it's like the, and then there's like the EpiPen thing. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. You know, that happened like not too long ago. And that, you know, if, yeah. if, and that's hits close to home for me because my son had, has a tree nut allergy. So he, you know, needs EpiPens. And um, there was at the time, um, the, you know, Mylan is the company that manufactures epinephrine mm-hmm. auto injectors of this particular brand, EpiPen. And they jacked up the price just as another company, probably not coincidentally, just as another company took their epinephrine auto injector off the market Mm -hmm. and uh so it's a real mess for a lot of parents um like us and i'm sure in in other situations too Um, yeah i actually read a story when i was doing more research i think it was yeah in cnn there was like a story of a father who was exposed to an allergen tried to go to a pharmacy to get an epipen didn't have one went to another pharmacy to get an epipen they didn't have one and he almost died. Yeah, it's a good way to get yourself killed if you've got an yeah. you've got a severe yeah. allergy. So I'm just like looking at all of them right now. Also, I I carry. Um, yeah, there's quite a few. I carry. Um, it's a, this is a particular device called an AviQ. Um, I always carry um, one in my pocket, so I'm always thinking about you know. How, how long do those things last? Not forever, although there's some. Um, you know, there's some difference of opinion about how long they they could last. Um, but you're supposed to, if I remember correctly, you're supposed to throw them out after a year, which is, and yeah, they're not cheap crazy. even when drug companies aren't, um, artificially jacking up the prices, <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah. whatever it was, 3000 million percent or whatever. That yeah. Amount. That actually also happened to lidocaine too, is, um, super old drug artificially jacked up. It was one of the ones caught in the pharma bro oh, yeah. thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. Martin Shkreli. Pharma bro. Yeah. He increased the Good guy. ketamine is another ketamine, one. Ketamine, yeah. That's on shortage. Oh, yeah. Which they use in ERs a lot. Yeah. Um, this is one that I just like I'm reading and I think is interesting. So fluorescein, um, fluorescein injection strips and like an ophthalmic Ooh. solution, which 
So we use fluorescein and OB for like if we're doing a surgery that's we want to check if we like got the ureter in our surgery, like if we cut it on accident, you can inject fluorescein and it basically goes straight into their urine and you can like see the ureters release it. Um, when you do a cystoscopy, which is a camera in the bladder, you can like look at the opening of the ureters and see is it. Is it a, so I'm trying to figure out like what this procedure, it's a dye. Is it, it's a dye. Is it a, is yeah. it a radio so dye or it, is it a, some other kind of, no, okay. it's just a colored dye. So you inject it IV and then it will come out in the ureter. Like it, yeah, just so you can see it better. Just so that you're able to see, but it's um in shortage, which is interesting. But at, um, well, like, and I have been in a procedure. We talked about this in a procedure is the reason why I think it's funny. But our urogynecologist backfills the bladder to see if there's a leak in the bladder. He backfills it with sterile milk, like formula, like baby formula, oh. because it's like so interesting. That's interesting. Hmm. But he does it because some people use like methylene blue, which is another dye. It's just like a colored dye. Some people use methylene blue, but he's like, it dyes your whole field blue. So then you can only use it once because then after that you can't see but with milk you can see it every time and it goes away how did he (laughs) that's interesting how did he come up with that idea i mean i don't know i don't know if he learned it in training he's like our like you know crazy old attending but like in a good yeah yeah the people who the people who have all of this years and years of knowledge that yeah uh, that's that's very cool but anyway i just thought that was funny that's my little Hmm. yeah anyway there's a lot of psych meds that are on this list. Yeah. And, and a lot of those medications, like there's, so, you know, people, this is probably true of people in general and medications, but you know, you could spend as a patient and, a, and as a doctor, you can spend a lot of time finding the right medication for your patient. Right. And this mm-hmm. is uh, something I think of in terms of psych medications. I know a lot of people who, you know, worked real hard to find the right psych medication for them. And then if that drug becomes you know, it is, becomes hard to find, then, you know, then you have to go through a whole, a whole new process of finding that right medication again, mm-hmm. which yeah, is a disaster. I mean, it's a, it's a true, it's a true problem. You know, that you can't just switch mm-hmm. from, you know, citalopram to Prozac say, or whatever, you know, like it's, yeah. it's, you know, a, a major issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, um, you know, it's hard to, I guess, know how to like, you know, overcome the shortages without just being like, you need to expand your markets. I mean, this is, I guess, in my opinion, why like medicine, I mean, one of the reasons, not the only reason why medicine shouldn't be influenced really like, it's not a capitalistic process. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's about need. Yeah. The, the, it's where the free market sort of breaks down to some extent. Right. But I guess the other problem is like at some point you have so many medicines on the market, you can't physically produce them all. It's true. You know, like, so at some point shortages are going to happen and you can't control the physical environment you can't control, you know, the, the physical environment of your suppliers or, you know, there's so many factors that, um, it's a wonder that it works at all sometimes. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Well, the other thing that we haven't talked about yet is that we can't get drugs from other countries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's true. Which is like 
a huge right like because as a u.s yes we cannot make them all but like as a world we could yeah yeah you know yeah, yeah that's a good point which is like really frustrating yep we can get viagra mm-hmm. from canada though that'll be all on. not legally <laughs> you have to go to canada to get it oh oh boy oh boy why is viagra even a thing jk babies need it sometimes for their pulmonary hypertension there was an article about babies in a trial of Viagra dying recently. What was that about? Did you did you read know. about that? There was like 11 babies dying. I didn't in the read of about that. Okay. Dave, I don't read about anything except my patients that I'm currently I'm seeing. sorry. Yep. Me too. I will cut this out. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> um, Our lives are terrible. <laughs> it's not a happy life we lead. Oh. Don't um, you want to be cheerful for the, for the perhaps... People in this world who might want to become OB-GYN someday? No. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, but that doesn't mean that we should... It's all rainbows and sunshine. I did time. have a... You know, I did get really happy, though, the other day thinking about something, and you want to know what it is. Mm. Yes. The fact that I'm going to be done in four years. <laughs> I know. Wow, that's... Three years and 11 months, that actually. Is a, yeah. That is quite a reach, Corbin. <laughs> The countdown has started. <laughs> I'm so happy that nearly like, half a decade it. from now I'll be done. Oh, don't God, say it don't like say that. that. <laughs> Come on. I'm so sorry. That was cruel. Wow, it was cruel. But there's an end, end point, at least. Yeah. Like, it's true. I'm not yeah. doing a fellowship, so. We've I, secured our residency. Like, so now yeah. all we have to do is graduate from yeah. it. Yeah. 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 What's your news today, Dave? Well, my my news is is uh, it's part news and part fallopian file. So I'll start with the news. Um, Eshore is an mm. implant. Is a is a long acting. I can't remember the rest of it. Long acting. It's irreversible. It's, it's yeah. irreversible. So it's not it's not a LARP, right? Anyway, it's not a LARP because LARPing is live action role play. <laughs> Wait a minute, what is it? It is not a What's lark. What's the word I'm looking for? Not a lark. Lark. With a C. <laughs> I try so hard to remember things. That was incredible. Oh, a lark. It's... Do you want a lark? I am going to lark as an Esher, though. <laughs> okay. I'm going to larp as a as an Esher. <laughs> that would that's that's I'll be really the Marina. Good. That's really good. I'll be the Marina. You be the Esher. Dave can be uh, the, uh, the next, next one on. All right. Perfect. Are you jerks? Back to the ranch. Uh, Dave is a white rod. <laughs> <laughs> What's a rod? <laughs> like an exponon. Oh my gosh. They're white rods. Oh gosh. Anyway, point is, Esher oh is being taken off the market. Um, Finally. Uh, so this is something you've been aware of. I, I Did we talk about this before on the show? About Esher in particular? Mm-hmm. We talked about you know many different kinds of birth control, but I'm not sure we talked about this one specifically. But uh, Esher is... Um, a a corkscrew like looking device that is inserted into the fallopian tubes and as i understand it causes inflammation and scarring that blocks the fallopian tubes uh, marketed as an alternative to uh tubal ligation or right 
So it's, yeah, a non-surgical option, right? Even though you do technically have to. Uh, yeah, there's to put it there's in. a little surgery there. You got to put it in there. I mean, you you go in th- you go in. Through I don't the, know how do you define you surgery. Yeah, you go in through the cervix yeah. and into the uterus, and it gets inserted in the fallopian tubes. Right. Well, it's yeah. been taken off the market. Um, actually, weirdly, it's not off the market yet, but it will be off the market as of December 2018. So that's it's unclear to me how that works, but and it's it's uh, it's it's got about sixteen thousand lawsuits. <laughs> Um, though this was, you should know that this is, it's not like it's getting taken off the market by the FDA. Yeah. Oh yes. It was, it was Bayer's decision to take it off the market. Right. Uh, Exactly. But yeah. And that's just because they just didn't feel like there would be enough demand for it in the future. Well, and, um, part of that could be because of, um, the complications that it seems to um, have created for people. So I, I the, this and this leads into my fallopian files. I, I really th- uh, want you guys, um, both our listeners and you, Katie and Corbin, to um, take a minute or take an hour to watch uh, The Bleeding Edge on Netflix. And mm-hmm. um, the it's about medical device manufacturers and uh, how that industry works in terms of getting devices approved um, by the FDA. And it follows eSure patients, um, hip implant patients, and um, and also um, one other one I can't remember at the moment. But, um, but basically, it follows the patients and their doctors um, in, in the process of overcoming and, and dealing with the complications involved in these devices. So in Isher's case, they um, seem to have a problem um, getting uh, ejected into the uterus, number one, and then they hmm. seem to cause a, a number of, um, you know, like... L- ejected into the uterus? Like I, I don't know if that's the right like, word, but it gets... It basically gets expelled from the tube into the uterus and then it sort of hangs out there. Um, It seems to have caused a lot of, you know, severe pain, um, debilitating um, symptoms that um, have cost people their. Oh, and the, and mesh was also um, the, the, was it the vaginal mesh? Prolapse mesh. Yeah. Yeah, There's lots of, that was another one that was covered. um, That's also been in the news in recent years as, as a problem. But what was most interesting about this, particular uh documentary um is the approvals process for devices there are two approval processes one is called pre-market authorization it is actually the more i believe it's the more rigorous of the two Mm -hmm. yes if a device is not substantially different i think is the language if it's not substantially different from a previous device it does not have to go through the more stringent pre-market approval process right this was originally meant as a loophole uh as a small loophole um for you know devices that were you know really very similar but what's happened is that 95 percent of devices now or something like that somewhere in the high 90s are being approved through this less rigorous process as being substantially similar to other devices. So the the example in this, um, one of the examples in this movie was hip implants. Mm-hmm. If you have a, it, it, so, so if there was a hip implant that was like um, metal on plastic, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was approved through, let's say the, the PMA um, process, the more stringent process. 
Uh-huh. The, devi- the manufacturer says, hey, you know what? I think it would be better. I think we could innovate if we make a metal on metal one for very active people. You know, they're very much, they're, the metal is harder. We'll use cobalt, you know, you know, we'll use this different substance. It was cobalt in this situation. Um, they don't have to get that reapproved. They just go through that, that sort of wimpy process. Um, and the problems that they were finding is that, and they're still struggling with this or still trying to figure out like whether this is a widespread problem or not, cobalt poisoning. Um, the cobalt was leaching out of the metals and causing, you know, really strange and horrible neurological symptoms, um, in the people who, uh, had this implanted, um, in their, in their bodies. Um, really interesting look at the, the one thing, the one caution I want to throw out there and, and maybe you guys can maybe revisit this at some point in, in your lives or in our lives as podcasters, but, it's hard for me to tell how much of this is I should be legitimately horrified at versus how much I should I should go, well, yeah, I mean, a certain number of people are not going to react well to any individual treatment, right? Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you always have to, you balance the risks versus the harms in any sort of treatment yeah. or drug or, or device or whatever. And some people are just going to be, you know, they're right. going to have bad yeah, luck. And I mean... I don't think these like things are mutually exclusive in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that like, I mean, there's still probably some shady things going on, but also like just because somebody experiences a side effect or out adverse outcome yeah. doesn't mean that what happened, you know, the reason why, right. you know, they experience that is like an all bad thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of the, so, one of the, one of the sort of problems that um, people in this documentary pointed out you know, sort of the experts that they were interviewing was the drive to innovate and innovate innovation in innovation can be either finding a new solution for a new problem or a problem that does has not had a solution before, or it can just be changing things to change them because patients and doctors like new improved quote unquote things. Yeah. And yeah. And I one mean, of those is... <laughs> And, and and that's, you know, a lot, a lot of the, they claim that a lot of the innovation that takes place in medical devices is, um, you know, just being able to, it is just being able to say, hey, we changed it. It's cool. It's better. You know, you should use this because it's new and improved when. I mean, though, there are some like, thing, like, for instance, like the Esher does like fulfill like a role a that, you know, a need that some people shouldn't be having surgery. Yeah. You know, put under anesthesia like they should not. And so but they if they still want to have a like sterilization. Now, of course, like, I mean, with IUDs these days, I mean, in some ways it's like, oh, do you really need an issue if you can get an IUD? But but this is I think this is interesting. Speaking of IUDs, like going back to what Dave was saying about like the approval process. So that's how like you got the Dalcon shield like the IUD that made everyone hate IUDs back in the 80s is because all the IUDs were approved under the like you know that kind of secondary less stringent way of approving things and so all these IUDs got approved that caused like all these infections and infertility and stuff and then everyone like mistrusted IUDs but really it was just like the kind and so this like came up recently because um like I told Corvin this like we just recently tried to take out an IUD out of a patient that's from 1980 
that was still in her uterus, which is like fine because she didn't want kids anymore. But it was just like interesting because the kind it was is like, you know, we don't have it anymore. The IUDs that we have right now were not ever a thing in 1980. And so it was just like really interesting. Like we Googled like what kind of IUDs were available in 1980. And like, I don't know, it was just super interesting. But we were just we were talking about like the Dalcon shield and why like people didn't like them. And, you know, because it caused all these infections. Do you so do you feel and this is probably not a decision that you yet have to make, you know, ever at this point. But (laughs) I mean, how would you as a doctor being approached by a company rep saying, hey, we have this new thing. How would you be able to evaluate its effectiveness or its safety except on the judgment of the FDA and the company? Well, there's studies that happen, like independent studies. There are So in addition to the FDA process, there's a there might be studies that you could fall back on. Yeah. Yeah, there's usually they're later on because um the drug has to be like available because like when you're developing a drug, the only person that has like access to it is the company. But you have to be careful about those studies because they're like obviously biased Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean you don't have to like implement something into your practice right away you know yeah i guess the 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 reason i one reason i asked this question is because actually the approvals process for drugs is different from the approvals process for devices the approvals Mm -hmm. process for drugs as far as i can tell is actually even more stringent than that for medical devices um, even with, even in the more stringent yeah, PMA, um, process. So, you know, and I think a lot of people don't really think about that or, or know about that. I just, I guess, I guess I just wonder, you know, like as a patient, you know, you're, you're going to, you know, your doctor and, and they're recommending, you know, you should have this, um, hip implant or this, uh, you know, contraceptive device or whatever. I mean, you ha- you have you know one of the things that the film says you know is do your research well the average joe doesn't really have the ability to do their own research it's just right. not something that they can reliably do yeah um yeah it's like but some people think they do and that's also yeah exactly because they are like doing some research in the yes. wrong places yeah. yeah um well that's something that other like that I was also thinking about is, you know, how we talked about like innovation for like people want something new and like whatever, but there's a lot of drugs that we still use that are super old. And like the other good thing from like that patients should think about and doctors is that like the older a drug is, the more we know about how to fix things that happen because Mm. of it. So like a good example is like Tylenol, like Tylenol is like can be dangerous drug, But it's available over the counter, but it's been around forever. And so we know what to do when someone uses it badly or it has an effect because it's been it's super old. But like brand new medicines, like we don't know what to do. Because, like all of, OK, like another good example is warfarin. So it's a vitamin K agonist. It's a clotting. Like it helps your thin your blood. It's super old and we know how to reverse it. But like there's all these new ones, yeah. all these new clotting drugs that we don't know how to reverse them yet. And so it's like, you know, there's pros and cons of both of them, obviously, but it's just something to like think about. My Fallopian Files is 
a Amish man in Michigan who started a ride sharing business of his horse and buggy. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. He calls it the Amish Uber. <laughs> that's the most adorable thing ever. That's pretty sweet. So that's my profile. <laughs> Does he have a website? <laughs> I don't think so. Probably I think not. it's a word of mouth a, thing. How do people get a hold of him? Let's see. That's pretty sweet. How do people um, get a hold of him? Are you looking it up? Yep. All right. While you do that, I'll talk about mine. Mine is your local zoo or your nearest zoo. Mm. So I love zoos. I'm obsessed with them. Corbin knows this. She hates it. <laughs> she did. Are you? Are you? Yeah. You don't like zoos? Is that? I'm not a zoo. Per- they smell funny and people are sweaty. <laughs> well, anyway. Also, there's the whole potential animal, the whole potential animal cruelty. Oh yeah, there's that too, of course. I mean, I'm not afraid of that. Um, one should. That's why I don't go to Sea World. Like, no. Oh, I thought you meant animals escaping, not animals. No. (laughs) No. Anyway, I think zoos, though, like at least, well, except for the Niamey Zoo, which was the worst zoo I've ever seen in my life. But most zoos, I feel like, do a lot for conservation efforts. Like, anyway, so. Omaha, Nebraska, which Corbin lived in for a while and I lived very close to, has the best has zoo in the world. Has a great zoo. Don't great at me, zoo, San Diego. Yeah. San Diego can suck. <laughs> anyway, there's like, that's like the other best zoo in the world or whatever. Anyway. Can't, but, believe, uh, can't believe you offended San Diego like that. Columbia, South Carolina has like the best zoo in the Southeast, apparently. Ooh, wow. It's a really cute little zoo, um, but I became a member and so I can go to the zoo whenever nice. I want. Wow. You, last night oh. they had brew at the oh. zoo which is like a event where you can go you have to be over I think, 21 i think every zoo does that now really yeah like des moines does it well, Omaha des moines does did it. it and it was amazing yeah. yeah corbin i mean it's smart i think corbin you yeah. grew up on a farm uh so <laughs> that's very different than a zoo it's very different uh, than i know a zoo. but farms have uh smells you know like Oh, that's true. And, and people, people are sweaty, sweaty on farms. I guess they're your people, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, a little bit different. Maybe I just, since I grew up on a farm, I didn't need to uh, go out into the world to find... <laughs> to find nature. Sweatiness <laughs> and smelliness. I just already had it in abundance. I don't Remind know. me, what kind of farm uh, was it? Pigs. Pig. Oh my God, Corbin. Pigs. Pigs. It's a smell you get used uh, how? to. How? You just All do. Right. Cause it, it does not smell nostrils. bad to me. I'm going to be completely honest with you about that. It does not smell bad to do me. You, do you, uh, do, uh, it smells like home to you basically. Yep. Like, oh, I'm home. Um, so by the way, if you want to get a ride from, uh, our, uh, Amish friend, mm-hmm. uh, Timothy yeah. Hoshstedler. Yep. That's a, that's he, a proper you Amish You can flag right him there. down on the side of the road. Oh, okay. And it costs about $5 on average. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Good for, good for Timothy. He's got a proper Amish name, too. He yeah, does. Yeah, I like that. Thanks for listening, friends. Yes. Yes. Let us know if you have any questions. Anything that you want us to to talk about, to, to uh, delve into, even if you want just want us to skim lightly over something, you can you can let us know. You can add us and we'll Yeah, add and us. And we'll uh, we'll we'll do our thing. Indeed. Yeah, right. yeah dog. All right. Um yeah. We'll talk to you all soon, right? Yeah. Yep. Bye. Bye, friends. Bye.